Welcome to the Energy Fellows podcast, where each episode is designed to share expertise and experiences from U.S. and global energy fellows. They provide direction and possible solutions for ultimate journey results. Here's your host, Mark Stansberry. Enabling best-in-class customer experience and operational excellence in a hyper-connected oil and gas world, TCS prioritizes problem-solving and leverages customer insights to drive real business results. To find out more, go to TCS.com. That's TCS.com. Welcome to another episode of the Energy Fellows. I'm your host, Mark Stansbury. And before we get uh, introducing our great guests we have in, in just a second here, I'd like to mentioned to go to the show notes. And first of all, I want to thank TCS for being a sponsor and their contact information's in the show notes and the OGGN for all they do, also information about them. There's a brief survey, takes about 10 seconds to go to. And what will help is you'll get some stickers to put on hard hats, laptop, or, or for friends, whatever. Go to the survey that's also in the show notes. And also, if you will, I'd like to hear from you. And tell us about the message, if you will, and rate our, our show and leave some feedback as well. And that information of, is also on the show notes as well. So again, thank you for all those who are listening today. And we welcome you back to the Energy Fellows and upcoming episodes of the Energy Fellows. So we're going to talk about cybersecurity. Cybersecurity is such an important issue today. But you know, I was doing some reading, and it was really interesting that it goes back in the 70s, and then it started picking up through the years. But today, I don't know how you survive without knowing something about cybersecurity, but in the opportunity in the energy field is what we're going to be talking about today and what the challenges are. And I can't pick a better guy to reach out to than Matthew Watson. Matthew is the cybersecurity consultant for Guernsey and Oklahoma City, but has presence throughout United States and other locations. And so, Matthew, welcome to the Energy Fellows. Thanks very much for having me, Mark. I really appreciate it. And thank you for your time and for your audience's time and look forward to the discussion today. Really look forward to this discussion. A, a good conversation of there's folks out there that are very concerned. They don't know really what to do. I know I went to a conference years ago that addressed it. Many conferences actually addressed it through the years. and But one in particular stood out because they were concerned that we weren't prepared and that companies weren't prepared like they should be. And I would say maybe that's where we are today. If you will, before we go into all that, though, I'd like to know about your journey of life and your life at Guernsey, but before Guernsey, where you began. And tell us about your history. Sure. Well, I was born in Norman, Oklahoma. I was adopted by my parents when I was just an infant. I was a few months old and grew up in Tuttle, Oklahoma. So that's a wonderful wonderful community that I love to this day. used to be a rural community. It still is somewhat, but it's become, as they call them, bedroom towns. People like to live. It's become a suburbia, basically. People like to live there and then commute to Oklahoma City for work. But I grew up in Tuttle from K to 12. That was my education there. I had some great friends from those days and doing you know everything with friends and sports. But for me, one of the greatest and most, I suppose, deepest impacts on my life was my grandfather. My granddaddy was a cotton farmer in the middle of Texas, South Texas, just about an hour east of Austin, a place called Thorndale. His name was Leroy Wenchy, and I spent every summer as a kid on the farm with Pops, as we used to call him, and he had a tremendous influence on my life that kind of pushed me towards, I think, 
a life of service. And so that drew me to the military, which I went into shortly after I left Tuttle. So, you know, kind of under the influence of my pops, I decided I wanted to go to college and I was a first generation college student. I had the opportunity to go to the University of Science and Arts of Oklahoma in Chickasha. As you know, Mark, you've got some some history with the USAO, as we call it, and had uh, my best friends to this day. I met there at USAO and had a wonderful time. All the groomsmen at my wedding are my best friends from USAO that I still stay in touch with today. And then after I left college, I worked for USAO actually as an admissions counselor for a year. And then I went to Texas A&M University where I had the opportunity to study for my master's degree in public administration at the Bush School of Government Public Service. And then after that, I sought out and again, had the opportunity to join the Marine Corps as a commissioned officer. And I served in the Marine Corps from 2015 to 2021, where I was what we call a communications officer, which is essentially a network engineer. But by the time that I was in the military, cybersecurity had become such a pressing issue, even within the uniformed services, that they really needed us to focus in on cybersecurity as well as the building and maintenance of networks across the world and in combat zones or non-combat zones or NATO exercises, you name it. And so that's what I did in the military. And my wife and I decided we want to come back home to the place that raised us, which is beloved state of Oklahoma. And we came back here and we live close to family now. And I have a little boy that's about to turn one year old. His name is Liam and they just a joy. So, you know, I feel like I've been able to live the American dream based on, you know, family influences and being able to grow up and live here. Well, thank you, Matthew, for your service in the military, and congratulations about your family and your career at the university level all the way to now. It's a wonderful life you've lived already, and to think that you're looking at something that can help people. I mean, cybersecurity issues are not just, you know, to take lightly. It's something that impacts each one of us now, and as I mentioned earlier, in fact, I was on a board, in fact, a university board, Now I served on the university, as I mentioned, Science and Arts of Oklahoma, USAO back in the 80s to 90s, early 88 to 93. And back then, John Fever was not the president, it was Dr. Roy Trout. And then Dr. Fever stepped in as a successful president, as we've talked about. And then he wound up serving for many years and understanding he's going to be retiring by the end of 2023 and what an impact he's made. And I'm glad to see that you served with him. That's wonderful. And thank you for that effort as well on the education side of it. So important. And I was thinking about the time that I did have some leaders that came in to talk about it, and one specific leader that came in to talk about cybersecurity to one of our university boards, as I was saying. And basically, the board itself was going, I don't know if we need this. And by the time they got through the meeting, they were going, we definitely need it. (laughs) need somebody to talk about the issue. So that's kind of an open discussion now in that, Tell us, first of all, about Guernsey, then I'll follow up with some questions in more detail. Guernsey is a company that started in actually the 1920s. Mr. C.H. Guernsey was an Oklahoman, and right before the Great Depression hit, Mr. Guernsey worked very diligently with our electric cooperatives, our rural electric cooperatives in particular, to provide effectively consulting services along the lines of architecture, engineering, specifically engineering. He was consulted at the federal level for his expertise, but he dedicated so much to this business and the success obviously is still going roughly 100 years later. And so Guernsey really tries to continue that culture that Mr. Guernsey himself established, which is effectively long-term 
business relationships based on and character and integrity and reliability. And those are buzzwords nowadays, but he really meant it. And the people that work here really actually mean it. It's a very special place in that the culture is just totally different. And I mean that in a good way. Effectively, this is a team that really actually prizes what I think would classically be called virtue or what we would call character nowadays. And just being a reliable person, like a reliable person, reliable person of character for our clients over the long term. And I know that sounds like a marketing PR scheme. These people mean it. And it's been wonderful to work with this team. And so they are good people. I think they represent everything that's best about Oklahoma and the Midwest and just love the team here. And so you you spoke about cybersecurity and it absolutely is a critical national security threat nowadays. As you mentioned at the beginning of our show, Mark, you talked about how this really started in the 1970s, and that's exactly right. It used to be the case that, you know, in the 60s and 70s, we started building these computers out. We still didn't have the personal computer, and so everybody didn't really necessarily have a computer in their house. But the folks in the government, you know, specifically DARPA, who had a major role to play in the beginning in the creation of the internet and networked computers. In the 1970s, that focus and that focus from like DARPA and government entities and stakeholders really started to, it started to flux together in the 80s really. But what I'm getting at is that computers rapidly have been evolving over the last few decades, but there's certain principles, there's certain things that have been around since the very inception of it, like network computers, something we call TCP communications have been around for a long time. And it used to be the case that you could kind of go to college or even self-study and learn how computers work and all the different components of them. And there's a lot to learn there, but you could kind of, you could kind of have this body of knowledge yourself about how a computer worked from beginning to end, including networked computers and how computers talk to each other. But I would say beginning in the nineties and then continuing to today, the complexity has just exploded exponentially, not linearly. And so you can know the basic principles, but no one human being can know everything that there is to know about computers and software and hardware and firmware and all of this different stuff. And of course, again, the internet, which is just a bunch of computers talking to each other, using all that stuff. And so from a security standpoint, there's a lot of haze. There's a lot of fog there. There's a lot of misunderstanding or miscommunication or levels where bad threat actors can actually make themselves subject matter experts about certain things and exploit those without immediate knowledge or even without knowledge for some time. The government has recognized this, and so maybe we could talk about the regulatory environment. But of course, we've all noticed it too. You know, we're, Smartphones are ubiquitous, and so computers are everywhere. And we still have not solved the cybersecurity problem. I don't even think we're even close think we're way behind in terms of from a global perspective. And so, you know, unfortunately for me, business is really good because you could just open up the news, whatever news feed you want or whatever threat intelligence source you have, depending on what your job is and see that the breaches are happening every single day. Sometimes by the minute. I know I have friends and companies that are very concerned within a few minutes that could be hacked into or whatever. And so it's a very big challenge. And where do we all begin? I mean, the energy industry, 
just a few years ago, I started talking on digital transformation and continue to do that. Not from an expertise standpoint, is that the need for bringing in the experts like yourself and others. And so I keep emphasizing that because I feel like somewhat that the energy industry overall may be in somewhat good order, but at the same time, how do we continue to prepare and how should we address when it comes to cybersecurity? Energy is absolutely pivotal to the thriving of any country, but especially the United States. We rely on, well, reliable, cheap energy to power literally everything. And so As you said, that push to make everything digital, it's a double-edged sword in that as you increase, I think, in convenience and in reach across the globe or across the United States, you know, we've got folks that are working remote now, you increase your risk profile because of what I just said earlier, people that dedicate their entire lives to exploiting these things are now kind of waiting in the wings. And it's still, you know, the pandemic hit in 2020, we've had a massive increase in remote work. We still do not fully understand the ramifications of that from a security standpoint. So the first thing is energy is extremely important. The second thing is our risk profile, including in the energy sector, is increased possibly higher than it's ever been. Maybe even probably, you could say in that sentence, probably higher than it's ever been. And so The energy sector has a few things going for it in that, in my opinion, the energy sector, you know, we're in Oklahoma, this heavy energy industrial base here, they have really recognized the threat environment ahead of the game in comparison to some other industries that are here and in in other U.S. states. And so they've devoted resources to it. There are companies that are energy focused that thankfully have dedicated teams. They're not contracting out to one person or two people that are responsible for doing all of IT. And then they also, by the way, have to do cyber, which is a totally another job that's 40 hours plus a week. They've got dedicated teams that are trying to get proactive, identify threats ahead of time, mitigate those threats, provide multiple layers of defense. And so the energy sector needs to be congratulated for that. But of course, you're never done. And with that, you know, increased reliability on energy, increased risk profile, our issue is that, like I said, it's a double-edged sword as it becomes more convenient, becomes more digital, there's more vulnerabilities there. And when you talk about, you know, the lucky strike for the threat actor is, and I'm not even talking about, you know, some kid sitting in mom's basement necessarily, but other foreign actors across the globe would love to render our energy sector completely inoperable. And a very likely candidate to do that is to get at at us through our digital systems. Mm -hmm. No question. So from the regulatory standpoint, you mentioned regulatory. And yes, I'd like to get into that. What are the regulatory issues that we face in the energy industry? The federal government has, for better or worse, decided that private industry is not going to get this done by themselves necessarily. And so they need to be regulated in some ways to make sure that they're doing the cybersecurity things that they should, from multi-factor authentication to passwords, where you store your data, this, that, and the third, firewalls, all the you know, IT buzzwords and pieces of equipment that I can throw out there. And so if you're in the energy sector, what you need to be aware of, if you're not aware of already, is that regulatory compliance is going to expand in cybersecurity. Energy sector's already got plenty of regulation and audits and third-party pieces of proof that they have to provide to third-party auditors. But cybersecurity is about to jump on board. And so, you know, we don't have a solid timeline for that. There's some indication that the Biden administration is going to move more aggressively into regulation on the energy sector from a cybersecurity standpoint. Through the 
through what we've seen in the infrastructure bill from last year, for instance. And again, double-edged sword, it needs to happen. As a country, we need to be better. As an energy sector, we could be even better. But you need to know that, of course, regulation comes with it. Cost comes with it. Risk, if you're not compliant with that regulation. And to put it in terms of brass tacks, our defense industry is seeing a regulation right now that I spend a lot of my time on called the Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification, or CMMC, which basically says you get a contract from DOD, you have to do X number of cybersecurity controls based on the severity or the sensitivity of data that we're going to hand over to you pursuant to your contract. Energy gets sucked into that somewhat because you've got energy companies that are providing energy to bases, say. But I wouldn't be surprised, and I'm not, I don't have any special tea leaves or any special predictor, you know, prophecy power here. I would be surprised if the Department of Energy did not follow suit with something similar to that. This says, look, if you're going to be in our industry, if you're going to be under the purview of energy and critical infrastructure, then look, you're going to have to have a third-party audit every year or every three years that shows that you're doing what you need to be doing in terms of cybersecurity. As far as a specialty, and I know that's what you're focusing on now, you might describe what Guernsey's working on that can help others in the workplace. We are working, I mean, we spend a lot of our time on that CMMC regulation and helping defense contractors, whether they provide energy products or you know what have you. They build things, they make things, they ship things to base. They got a DOD contract. We want to help them get ready for the CMMC. And we can also, we're one of the first 10 companies certified by the Department of Defense to actually do the audit. So we can help you get ready. We can't help the same company get ready and then take the audit because it's a conflict of interest, but we can help a company get ready for the thing or give them the audit. And so that's what we spend a lot of our time on. But we also spend a lot of time doing risk assessments and security control assessments for companies meaning risk assessment is just general practice. Look, here's the most pertinent high-risk things that are like gaps in your program from just a security standpoint. could be physical security too. But if you're actually implementing some framework that's out there, like from the National Institute of Standards and Technology, which has a lot of great frameworks, if you've got an actual program in place, we could do a security control assessment too to come in and kind of test your security controls and see if they are in fact in place the way they need to be. And that helps folks a lot to give them a report, say, look, you say you're doing the X, you are for the most part, but here's some blind spots that we need to tighten up and we can help you do that too. So right now it's really, if you're getting regulated, we want to help you. And that's mainly in DOD land, so to speak right now. But also if you just want to know what your posture is, what your position is, that is critically important. It'll help you a lot and it'll help you maybe make a project plan over the next six months, year, two years to get some of those vulnerabilities remediated in your cybersecurity program. As far as Guernsey, what's your outreach? Is it just in the United States, certain states, or internationally as well? What's your focus? We have international reach. I would say the majority of our work takes place across the United States. Building on what Mr. Guernsey himself you know, established 100 years ago, we do a lot of work with rural and electric cooperatives. I mentioned the infrastructure bill that passed last year earlier the infrastructure bill has granted a lot of funding for high-risk industries, so to speak. If you're classified as critical infrastructure and you meet certain criteria, there's grant money that's going to be made available. But rural electric cooperatives is one of those entities that's high-risk because it's hard to hire people. It's hard to 
you know, get a dedicated cyber presence out in some of these rural areas. And so they're going to be eligible to apply for grant money. And we're really focusing on that process from a cyber standpoint. But again, Guernsey does work across the globe. We still do a lot of work with DOD that that is international. We have a presence in Alaska outside of continental U.S. And then we just have a presence throughout the U.S. But if you had to pin it down, you know, the Midwest is a really strong source of clients and business relationships for us. Matthew, how do those that want to get in touch with you, how, what's the best way? You can email me at matthew.watson at guernsey.us. And I hope we can, maybe in the show notes, put my contact information in there. You can go to our website, which is guernsey.us. It would be guernsey.com, but there's an island called Guernsey. And so <laughs> there was some licensing issues there. So we have guernsey.us. And it's G-U-E-R-N-S-E-Y. I just had to spell in public, which is a scary prospect, but <laughs> make sure. It's but right. I yeah, think I got it right. I think I got it right. And so you can look us up there. We'll definitely put it in the show notes. And glad you mentioned that because those that want to reach out can do so. And that's so important. You know, as I mentioned, the challenges that each companies have now in the energy, which is energy sector, or like you say, in the other sectors as well, cybersecurity is going to be in the forefront for many, many years ahead. Yes. And, you know, to think of the Energy Fellow show, a lot of times you think, well, that must be a senior fellow. Or, But I find that those that are, in fact, the one that we had from the government that came in to speak about cybersecurity a few years ago was, you know, in his 30s. And he was really a senior official, in a sense, of cybersecurity. So we find that any more of those that are really at, at the expertise as far as age are not necessarily, you know, my age. There are definitely a lot of those that aspire to be in, in the cybersecurity energy industry as well. So tell us, for those that want to follow in your footsteps in a way, what's the best way to address that? I mean, you had to go to USAO. You mentioned about getting your master's and pursued the career in the military as well. What's a good avenue for those that have an interest in following somewhat in your footsteps? Well, the first thing is to dispel the misconception that is very, it's still very prevalent out there, which is cyber equals hacking. I have to know computer code. I have to know how to hack stuff or have a desire to hack things to be in cybersecurity. Absolutely not true. Cybersecurity is a very robust industry. We need people that can write. We need people that, yes, can hack and, and know how to use you know, Python and knows how to use these programming languages. So that's maybe an avenue. But there's a lot to be done there, and we t it takes all types of types, right? So it takes all types of backgrounds. My advice is investigate cybersecurity from a perspective of what you can offer to the industry from your unique you know, skills, talents, abilities, because there's probably a fit there. We have a huge hiring issue in this company right now, but it's exacerbated in cyber in part because people think you need a computer science background or a computer science degree to do this. You do not. I have a liberal arts background. My undergraduate degree is in economics. My master's degree is in public administration. The reason I was in network engineering in the Marine Corps is because the Marine Corps looked at me and said, you're going to be a network engineer and a cybersecurity <laughs> engineer. And I said, I don't. Okay. So, you know, I did on the job training and that's happening. We're looking for entry level people. If you have a degree in English, but you have a propensity to talk to people. That's incredibly important because a lot of cyber people can't. If you have a propensity to talk to people and explain to them complex ideas in simple fashion, then you've got a place here. You do not have to have a STEM background, although that's wonderful, but you just have to have the ability to deal with people, to understand basic logical structures and paradigms and be able to explain complex ideas to people in a simple fashion. 
And we need auditors and assessors. We need people that can teach, people that can explain. And of course, we do need technical people that know computer programming, that know computer networking and all the technical side. But man, I'm telling you, if you've got something to offer, go take a look into the cybersecurity industry, look at the job boards, or just reach out to us, reach out to me, and I get you pointed in the right direction. The field is wide open. Well, that's very encouraging because there are those that are out there that are going, what's my future look like? And you've provided an avenue, a roadmap for them, and that's so essential. And it sounds like it's wide open, which is great to know as well. When it comes to you know mentors along the way, were there mentors that led you this direction or were, were I guess, mentors along your life that made a difference? Could you share? I say this because there are those that have you know, started into, you know, whether it's college or up-and-coming leaders, even at, you know, senior level, even at my age, I'm still learning, you know, I never stop. And so mentors have been a big, important part of my life. And it's not always someone older. I have mentors that are much younger. I'm going to include you in that group now because of your knowledge in cybersecurity. So who do you reach out to and have you reached out to and who really influenced you? That's really kind, Mark. Thank you. And for me, you know, to circle back to the beginning of the show, my papa was the probably the biggest influence in my life. My son's named after him. The man lived a full life. The only thing I have to say is he lived a life, a virtuous life for others to the fullest possible extent. He was the deepest shaper of me, I think. My dad is incredibly important to me too, and I still seek out his advice on things. But for me, you know, and for especially for younger folks listening, if you happen to be listening, part of it is just getting out there and doing things in real life. And you'll meet these mentors along the way. Like when I was in college, I had, you know, classmates that are still good friends to this day that impacted me. The military was absolutely huge. My first commanding officer, Colonel Joe Broom, who is out in 29 Palms, California right now, is the commanding officer of the communications Marine Corps communications training school, so to speak was hugely influential on me. Stacy Pacinich, who was my the best boss I ever had in the, in the military, she was hugely impactful on me. And those are really shaping influences that stick with me today. And the thing about it was that I don't remember any specific one-liners that they gave me advice on that turned a light bulb on. It was the life that they lived and the way that they lived their life impacted me most deeply. And so those people are on the Hall of Fame for me personally, for what it's worth. But for young folks, you know, it's hard to say, go out and pick a mentor. Perhaps you can do that. But in my experience, you just go out there and you start doing things and reality is going to give you a knock or two. And then you learn from that and you'll meet people along the way that you don't have a conversation necessarily. We say, will you be my mentor? And they say, yes. But that relationship develops organically over time. And you look back and you say, my goodness, they so deeply shaped me. And I'm so grateful to those people to this day. They influenced you, they inspired you and motivated you, encouraged you, all those attributes that are so necessary when it comes, yeah, to definitely mentoring and support. As far as daily habits, I still am working on that, by the way, because I have the dashboards and the metrics, even on a personal level, not just even business, to make sure I have everything properly as far as time allocation and making sure that every minute counts. And at the same time, I'm trying to find that balance in life. What do you do to make sure? that you have that kind of, you know, importance, I think it is, and an importance of not just your life individually, but, you know, you talked about family, you talked about business. How do you find that balance? Oh, man, good question. I will let you know when I do. <laughs> I'd like but, you to answer from but, Yes, <laughs> right. <laughs> so for me, the probably, not probably, the most important thing in my life is my faith. So 
I'm Catholic and that's been a hugely deeply influential thing on me. And so the first thing I do every day is based on my faith and it kind of orients me for the day. The last thing that I would recommend somebody do and the first thing in the morning is look at the smartphone or get on technology or something like that. Carve out some time to orient on that, which is just most important in your life. And that kind of lets your day lay out in front of you after that. If you, the first thing you do in the day is oriented on that, which is, I suppose, highest in your life, then again, everything kind of starts to fit together. And so that's been the most important piece for me. And then focusing your life on those institutions that the more you give, the more they give back, like family and work colleagues and things like that. And that helps, that contention helps. There's, you know, I've thought about this and like, there's, if I could go into it, I suppose I should, but, you know, it's really kind of three things for me, which is like, I would say number one from, I would say lift heavy weights. And what I mean by that is not just have an exercise regimen and I love lifting barbells, which is really good for you, mind and body, but do hard things in life and they will give back to you and you will find that balance through that challenge. Like lift, like put as much responsibility on your shoulders as you can and you will be amazed at how much life will give to you. And the second thing is that I was thinking of saying is read old books. I didn't start reading some of the classics. I'm in a group called Online Great Books where we meet once a month and discuss you know, the best books that have been written in Western civilization. Highly recommend that program. And it's just normal people that read stuff like Plato and Aristotle, and you don't understand 95% of it, but you get together and things start to click and it, it actually starts to shape you in your life. You know, take what works from the past and use it, like discard what doesn't, but make sure that in finding that balance, you know, make sure that you're not reinventing the wheel. Everybody's lived a life, you know, people have lived lives, their lives for thousands of years before us. And so it's important to learn their lessons. And finally, I guess it goes back to the first thing to do in the day, but find something that is the highest possible thing you can conceive of in your life and just chase after that, whether that's parenthood or might be something in your career, it might be a faith life or something, but like find that North Star and just give it a whirl for a while. And it's just amazing how much life will give back to you. That's great wisdom, great advice, and really appreciate that. Again, how do the listeners interested in getting in touch with you, how do they reach out? My email is matthew.watson, M-A-T-T-H-E-W dot W-A-T-S-O-N at guernsey.us. And you can email me there. I'm on LinkedIn. And I think that's the long and the short of it. I stay away from social media somewhat. I'm more of a lurker than an account holder. But (laughs) I'd say those two primary sources. And of course, give us a shot at Guernsey if you ever feel inclined to talk about cybersecurity. Well, this has been fascinating, Matthew. I really appreciate it. It's very inspiring that you've taken this time to be on the Energy Fellows. You've been listening to Matthew Watson of Guernsey, who definitely is leading the efforts at cybersecurity at, uh, at their company. And so please listen to upcoming episodes. Love you to go to the, definitely to the show notes for reviews and all the other items that are listed and uh, contact information about Guernsey. Again, thank you, Matthew, for being on the Energy Fellows. It was a pleasure. Thank you for everything you're doing, Mark, for the energy sector. We need champions like you today. And so I really just want to say thank you on behalf of a lot of folks that depend on you and the energy sector for our way of life. Thanks for being a champion. That means so much. Thank you so much, Matthew, because the future of energy depends on each of us. Join us again next week on the Energy Fellows Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com. Oh, 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 oh